And this story is about a guy who was a business owner. And this business owner, he had a business and he'd started it from scratch and it had become very successful. In fact, he was able to hire a bunch of staff of people who were, were able to come and work for him. And this business owner, he was popular, he was successful, and the staff that he worked for loved him dearly because he treated them wonderfully. Actually, this business owner was a real good Christian, and uh, he had been part of his church for many years, and he had become an elder in his church. And everybody thought he was this wonderful, godly man. He'd been married to 20 years to what many said was the most selfless woman that uh, they had ever met. However, people didn't know that the stress of the business had taken the toll on his life. While he stayed committed to his church, and he went to church every week, and he, and, he, and he served, and he did everything that a good Christian should do. His personal relationship with God had started to drift to the point where he just didn't have time to pray anymore. He didn't have time to read his Bible anymore. Work had almost become his God. And now there were cracks starting in his marriage. This man started to think he was invincible because of the success he had had in the business world. Then one summer, in order to honor his, uh, 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 his workers, he put on this huge big cookout. And they had everything from shrimp to steak. And, you know, everybody was having a great time. And he put it on for his staff. And then he invited all his staff's family as well. So everybody worked with him. They came. All his families came. Their kids came. And it was a great summer afternoon, kind of like this afternoon's probably going to be today. And then this business owner, who had had a lot of stress, he looked over and he saw in the corner, he saw this woman he'd never seen before. And this woman, she was this beautiful young woman, and she was sitting all by herself, and she didn't have anyone to talk to. So the business owner, being this nice, charismatic guy, went over and started to talk to this beautiful woman. She, he found out that this woman was actually Bob's wife. And Bob was one of his staff, actually one of his senior staff. And Bob had been working and working and working more and more for the business. And in fact, Bob had been staying later and later at work because things would need to be get, get done. And this woman had told the business owner that she was waiting there because Bob told her that he would meet her at the cookout because he had to work late. But unbeknownst to this woman is that Bob had a project that the business owner had told, her, told him that it had to be finished tonight. And so Bob was stuck at work while everybody else was having a good time at the summer cookout. And the businessman started to talk to Bob's wife more and more. And as he started to talk to, the business, to, to Bob's wife, he started to realize that she was probably the most fascinated person he had ever met. How Bob put work before this woman, he'd never know. Well, following the cookout, the business owner had talked with this woman for a while, and then they had exchanged numbers, and they just kept in contact. And over the next few months, Bob worked more and more and more, and so his wife was more displeased with him. The business owner, he had had more stress and stress, and he had drifted further and further away from God, even though he had been in church and he had been serving. And ultimately what happened is the more they communicated with each other, the business owner and Bob's wife started what no marriage should go down. And that is they started having an affair. 
And one day, after a particular stressful day, they met each other and they crossed the line. A couple of weeks later, Bob's wife called the business owner and she goes, I need to meet with you. She met with him and she told the business owner that she was going to have his baby. The business owner started to freak out and get all stressed even more. He was like, oh no, what can happen? Uh, This is crazy. I'm a good Christian man. I'm an elder in my church. You know, I've been married to my wife for 20 years. What can I do? So what he decided, he, he called Bob into his office one day and he said, Bob, I'm giving you a vacation for your wife, for you and your wife to go on. He says, go and take two weeks off. Go and have time with your wife, hoping that he would do what most married people do. But Bob rejected because Bob had a bunch of projects that he needed to finish. And so the business owner didn't know what he would do. Eventually, out of all the stress, he decided, okay, I'm going to need to get Bob out of my life. I can't look at this man anymore. I can't face this man anymore. If I'm going to have his wife's baby, uh, then, you know, I can't face this man anymore. So the businessman did the, the business owner did the unthinkable and he decided to fire Bob. And as he fired Bob, he just drifted further and further away from God. In the end, he decided that his marriage was not worth saving. He decided the cracks in his marriage were just way too big to bring back together. And now you are throwing in another woman's baby into the marriage. It wasn't going to work. So in the end, he decided one night to tell his wife after 20 years that he did not love her anymore. And he went and chatted up with Bob's wife. You won't hear that story anywhere in any books or any movies. But that story is real. It's a real life story. The difference is, is there was no business owner. In fact, it was a king. And there was no Bob who was working for this business owner. In fact, Bob was a soldier. And what happens is one night is that the king, when he should have been at war with all the other soldiers, decided he was under too much stress. He wanted to stay home. And relax. And what happened is that there was a lady called Bathsheba that the king saw. He went and lay with her. She became pregnant. The difference was is the business owner tried to fire Bob. But the king got the soldier killed. And then took the baby. The baby was born and the baby died. And this king was so distraught. And this king just thought the life was coming all crashing down. A man who had everything the world could ever offer. Now life was just crashing down on him. And then one day, as he had drifted further and further away from God, a man called Nathan, who was a good friend of the king. In fact, he was a prophet from God, which meant God spoke to Nathan. And then Nathan told people what God spoke to them. And Nathan came to the king and he says, King, he said, God, has seen what you have done, and he is not pleased. This king, his name was David. David was known as a man who, was, who, who had the heart of God. He was called David, the man after God's own heart. Now this man, David, had drifted so far away from God that God had said to him, I am not pleased with you. And the response was this. The king got down on his knees 
in total humility. And he turned back to God. This man who once was so full of God was now spiritually empty. And he found himself in so much trouble. And the reality is this, is when we drift from God, when we drift away from God, we open ourselves up to sin. And when we sin, we stop producing what we call spiritual fruit in our lives. And spiritual fruit is this. Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. And when we start to sin, we don't produce that kind of fruit. And that is the fruit that sustains us and gives us life and gives us a hope for the future. And the problem is about drifting away from God. Is that sometimes we don't even notice that we've drifted. You know, if you take a little dinghy and you go out into the ocean and you just sit yourself in the ocean and just sit back and sunbathe and get torched like a lobster. You're going to, and fall asleep. You'll wake up maybe an hour or so later and you'll be nowhere near where you started. And you won't even have noticed because you've drifted. And this man, David, drifted from God. Actually, after um, this, man, uh, this, this man, David, had his prophet Nathan come to tell him that, 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 that God was not pleased with him, David started to repent unto God, and David wrote a psalm. He wrote a psalm which was a song that he sang unto God, and it was found in Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I'm going to show it on, on here. And this is what it says in Psalm 51. It says, for the choir director, uh, this is basically just a, a psalm of David. Um, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He said this, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Then he says this, Blot out the stain of my sins. This was a man who was really uh, repentant unto God. Then he said this, Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin." For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be approved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. And he continues. And he said, David said this, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Then he says this, and this is the real cry of David's heart. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Then he says, oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And he says, do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Then he says this, and we'll finish here. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. This is a cry of a man who is so desperate for God because he's realized he's drifted so far away from God. 
David realized at that point he had sinned against God. But the one thing I think out of what we've just read, that he realized more than anything that he had lost, is something that we call joy. David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You know, as I look out on our community, I look out on the people in Bel Air and Abingdon and Harvard County and in Baltimore County, Cecil County. I see people who are happy. They have times of happiness. I see people who are going through uh, tremendous sadness and, and, and going through all types of things. And there's happiness and there's sadness. But what I think I see more than anything is people who don't have joy. People who don't have joy. You know, joy is the constant emotion of the soul. And it, is, and it is an excitement about life that isn't conditioned on our circumstances. Joy isn't happiness. Joy is something deeper. And David, King David, the man who loved God, the man who had a heart after God's own heart, had lost his joy. He was no longer excited about life. And I'll be honest, as I look upon our church and I look at my own life, I have to ask the question, have we lost our joy? Have we lost our joy? We have times of happiness and sadness, but have we lost our joy? Is there an excitement about life? Are we excited about the things of God? Are we excited to pray? Are we excited to study the Bible or the Word of God? Are we excited to come to church on a Sunday morning and worship God with other people who believe in God? Are we excited to spend time with, with other Christians? Are we excited by the blessings that God has given every one of us? If not, then we need joy. We need joy. And if we need joy, then what we need is a personal revival. And I'll talk about Generation Church right now. What we need as a church is a church revival. And what I mean by revival, and I said this last week, some of you, when you think revival, you think like someone pitching up this like big tent and having meetings or some crazy guy coming from out of town and having this like evangelistic crusade and then he comes for a week and then leaves. Or some of you, you may think like people just going like crazy like and like plucking like chickens or something like that. I'm like, no, that, that, that isn't revival. What revival is, is when the resuscitating life of God is breathed on the people once again. So people who were once empty and dead in, their, in, in, in the spirit of God are now brought back to life. People who were once sleeping kind of spiritually, they weren't even aware of God, now are brought back to life and they start to sense God and see God. And the Bible tells us, it says that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. So when we're in the presence of God, that is where we get our joy from, in the presence of God. And then the Bible also tells us, it says that the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Is our strength. So if, if our strength comes from joy, and joy is being in the presence of God, 
then the way that we get joy is to spend time in God's presence. Spend time with God. Experience God. And if we're not experiencing God, then we don't have joy. And if we don't have joy, we don't have strength. And if we don't have strength, then that just leaves us weak. That leaves us weak. And I'll be honest, as I look upon just our nation and just just the state of, of churches, you know, there are big churches, small churches, there are loud churches, quiet churches. There are churches that are very reserved. There's churches that meet in movie theaters, you know, I mean. But as I look at churches and the people in the churches, the majority of us are very weak. Weak in our faith. Some of us, we're just hanging on. But when we get in the presence of God, then God gives us joy. And when we have joy, we have strength. You know, when someone finds Jesus in their life, someone doesn't have Jesus in their life, and then suddenly God reveals himself to them, and they suddenly find that Jesus is the salvation of the world. He is their Savior. He is the one who can give them life and hope. Suddenly there is a joy that comes about them. They start to love in abundance and see things that they've never seen before. They see God in everything. They just can't get enough of God. Because God has done an incredible work in their life. But if we start to drift, like David, we start to lose that sense of God. At one point, we would just walk along the road and we would see the flowers and the trees and the birds. And we would be like, God, how incredible your creation. Now we start to drift and we're like, my life is so terrible. I'm like, why have they got these trees here? You know, why are there birds pooping everywhere? You know, I mean, it's just change your reality. Because you start to lose your sense of, sense of God. And I honestly believe the longer some of us stay in the faith, stay on this journey of faith, finding God and experiencing God, sometimes, and this doesn't go for everybody, but sometimes we start to rely on our own strength. We start to realize we know how it goes. I mean, I know how to be a good Christian. You know, I can get up and... You know, I can do things for others and I can love on people. I can read my Bible, you know, occasionally or I I can pray occasionally. I can come to church. I can raise my hands and surrender unto God. And I can I can help out and, and, you know, set up, tear down. And, you know, I can help out in the kids or the nursery or, you know, I I, I can come to different groups and and, and everyone thinks I'm fine. But the reality is the longer sometimes we're in the Christian faith, the longer we work on our our own strength and when we work on our own strength we start to drift away from God you know there was a church in the Bible it's found in Revelation chapter th- uh, chapter 2 Revelation chapter 2 is a church called Ephesus and this church Ephesus was a big church I mean when I mean big church I'm talking that historians think that it could have been like 20,000 people in this church I mean, they just met in different homes and, 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 and stuff across a city called Ephesus. And they were a big church. They were doing a lot of good things. But this is what God says. He says, write this letter to the angel or the pastor of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Basically, I translate that. That means this is Jesus talking to this church. He says this, I know all the things you do. 
I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. So firstly, this is a pretty good church. They're they're, they're doing all great things for God. They're, They're not allowing people to say things that aren't of God. They're working for God. Then he says this, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. And on the surface, we look at this church and we think, this church is a great church. But then this is what God says. He says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. That's the light. The light of God will be removed. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life. And the paradise of God. This church in Ephesus. Was doing all the right things. But. They had left. And drifted from God. And they said. God says you don't love me as you once did. You don't love other people. As you once did. And Jesus says. If you turn. Turn from drifting. Turn away. And look back at me again. Then I will give you life. And I'll be honest this morning. As a church. We need life. We need the life of God. Individually in our lives. We need the life of God. Because if we go in our own strength. We become weaker and weaker and weaker. But if we gain in joy. And we gain strength. And we gain the life of God. And if we have the life of God then this life is so worth living. So you asked me this morning, well, how do we turn? How do we turn around? If that's us this morning, if that's that's us who maybe we're doing all this stuff for God, but we may be drifting, then how do we turn? Well, the Bible gives us an example of how we turn. And it's found in the second book of Chronicles, chapter 7. There was another king, it was David's son called Solomon. He built a temple to God. And he built this incredible temple to God and he built this palace all for God. And then he asked to finish building it. He cried out to God and he said, God, he says, we need your presence to be in this temple. We haven't built this temple just to make it look nice. We built it so that you can dwell in this temple. So this temple can be for you. And this is what God says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 11. It says, so Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops. Or send plagues among you. But then he says this. Then. When you see that. When you see the desolation. And you see that there's no life. He says then if my people. Who are called by my name. 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. You know, last week I shared with you how I desired us as a church, or I believe that God desires us as a church to be a seed in this community. A seed that will be planted, that will be fresh. And this community will see this seed and it will bring life to this community. And one day that this seed will grow and it will flourish. I told you last week how I believe how we as a church need to start to obey God instead of chase after all the human success that we may want to get in our lives. And I told you, I, stand before, I stood before you, and I said, I've been guilty. I've been guilty myself of chasing after human success instead of obeying God. But my prayer for us as a people this morning is this. is that we will become a permanent dwelling place for God. A permanent dwelling place for God. A place where, where God dwells and people sense that. So on a, on a Sunday morning when people come into this movie theater, that they will sense God. They won't see the lights and the bands and some guy with a crazy accent talking. But they will sense God. That when you go out into your workplace, or uh, you're meeting with your friends or in the community, that people, just by meeting you, will sense God. Because you are a dwelling place for God. You know, God, uh, Solomon prayed and God says, I want this temple to be my dwelling place. This is the place where the presence of God will dwell. And we've seen a couple of chapters after what we read that suddenly they started to dedicate the temple unto God. And it says the glory of God came down on this temple. That the people couldn't even go inside the temple because the presence of God was so overwhelming for them. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 in the New Testament Jesus has come, Jesus has lived, Jesus has died, Jesus rose again, a church was formed. And now God says this to the church. He says that you now, you as the church, and the church isn't, isn't the name of the church or a place where we meet. It's the people in the church. You are the church. It says now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of God. And so wherever you go, that is where God dwells. And I believe if you want to find the joy of your salvation, if you want to find joy once again in life, if you want to love like you loved at first, this morning if you feel broken, if you feel empty, if you feel that something is just missing in your life, if you are just thirsty for like more to life, or if you're just plain down and depressed. It seems that God is just a million miles away from you. Then this condition that God told Solomon is for you. I've concluded that my life, Alex Pender, is in desperate need 
for the resuscitating life of God to be breathed upon me. And I felt the Lord say that I will not breathe upon you until first you fulfill the condition that I've put on your life. And this is the condition. It's found in, we've just read it, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. God says that if my people, my people, the people of God, are the people in the church, we are God's people. It says, if my people who are called by my name, and I believe if we are the people of God, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, then we are the people of God. And if we are the people of God, then we have been called. Called for the things of God. You may not be called to stand up here and, 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 and give the word of God. You may not be called to go to Africa or India and, and tell people about Jesus. But you've been called for something. It says, if my people, that's us being, who have been called by my name, it says, will humble themselves. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways and their sins. Then God says, I will hear from heaven. God will hear our prayers. Then he will forgive us and he'll forgive the people that we meet each and every day of their sins. And then the Bible says, then he will restore our land. He will restore our communities. Communities that are broken, that are dying, where, where, where kids are growing up and they don't even know their parents love them, where marriages are breaking up, where, where, where people are just drifting further and further away from God. God says, I will restore those communities. I will restore that land. And I honestly believe to you this morning, just as your pastor, I believe before our community can receive that life, before our community can be restored. As a church, we need to awaken from our sleep. We need to find that joy of salvation and that love for God and that love for each other that He desires. And in order to do that, I believe that God has a mandate for us as a church and I believe that mandate will not take place until we fulfill this condition. And this morning, I just wrote down what I feel that the Lord has for us. I felt like this ever since we started this church like a year and a half ago. And I want to just share with you what I feel that the Lord has spoken to me. Some of you may think, well, that's kind of weird. But really, this is what I feel that the Lord spoke to me. And I've never shared this with anyone before. And so I hope you'll be gracious with what I say. But I felt that the Lord say this. And I believe the Lord this morning is saying to us, you are my people. You are not your own, but you are the Lord's. And as the Lord's people, you have been called. Called for greater things than what you are seeing at present. Called for greater things than what you have seen in the past. I believe the Lord is saying to us this morning, I have called you to become a community of believers that will bring a freshness and a life to the community that is directly outside of you. 
And when you bring that freshness and that life to that community, I believe the Lord is saying that in turn, your community will be shaken by the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I feel that the Lord has got, I don't know whether it's for Generation Church or just in this community, but I believe that people from all nations will come into your community. To see the work that God is doing there. I believe people from all over this nation and nations will be amazed at how God's power has transformed the stained and the shamed into a pure white souls who are stainless before God. I believe people will come into our community and they will be amazed at the liberty of the Holy Spirit that, that He has within our neighborhoods. They will shake at the overwhelming presence of the Lord and they will be filled with joy that will act as a fire that will sweep throughout communities in this nation and this world. I believe that's what God has got for us. My vision for Generation Church isn't that we may plant 50 other churches that we may pack out auditoriums, stadiums. My vision isn't that we may open campuses and this and that. My vision for Generation Church is that we will be a seed in this community and that this community will turn upside down for Jesus Christ because they will find the resuscitating life of God breathed into them again. I don't know how God's going to do it. Maybe God is going to do it by packing stadiums. Maybe God is going to do it by planting 50 churches or having multiple campuses. I don't know. But all I know is that that is what God is desiring for us as a church. But there is a condition. It is not unconditional. It is a condition. And the condition is this. Humility, prayer, seeking, and turning. Humbling ourselves before God, praying unto God, seeking the face of God, and then turning from our drifting. You know, over the coming weeks, I want to share with you what I feel that the Lord is saying about this condition. We're going to talk about humility. We're going to talk about the type of prayer that God wants us to pray. We're going to talk about what it means to really seek the face of God. We're going to talk about what it means to turn. And that's going to be a tough one. But for today, I don't want to talk about that. As I leave you today, I want to ask you one thing. Are you in need of joy? Are you in need of joy? Have you been like David? Who drifted and lost his joy in God? Are you like that church at Ephesus? Who is working and working and you're doing the right things. But for some reason, you lost your love. Are you in need of joy? I'm going to ask us to bow our heads in prayer.